You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Alright, okay, so spoiler alert, right up front, in these talks this weekend, and spoiler for Philippians... Deep, lasting, meaningful joy can only be found in Christ. Deep, lasting, meaningful joy can only be found in Christ. He is way better than anything else. And that deep, lasting, meaningful joy can only be fully experienced and benefited from in partnership. Okay? In partnership. Or to put it another way, in Christ are the riches of life and joy that we long for and that we need. And pursuing Christ and enjoying Christ and trusting Christ together makes your joy complete. Now, do you believe that? Do, 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 Do you know that? Have you experienced that? This is what Paul is so excited about as he writes to his dear Philippians. It, it, it actually explodes off the, off the page. I want to, again, did you notice the emotion, the passion in our reading? Paul, he feels very deeply about these people. He's thankful, verse 3, prayerful for them, verse 4, um, holds them in his heart, verse 7, yearns for them with the affection of, of, of Christ, verse 8. And you think, why, why so strong language? Well, it's because this group of believers have partnered with Paul and stuck with Jesus through thick and thin right, right from the first day, he says, verse 5. Now, the backstory uh, is important because this, this whole thing um, called gospel partnership in Philippi was forged in very unusual events and forged in profound gospel witness. Uh, now, here's a, here's a map, I believe there's a map, um, and 15 years earlier, Paul has a vision uh, to leave Asia Minor and head to Macedonia, right, which is going to be where Philippi, uh, Philippi is. Uh, he's under spiritual attack and persecution. So I guess a vision of a Macedonian man calling for him to come would have been quite the encouragement. So Paul and Silas, this is all in Acts 16, make their way over to this sort of un, completely uncharted, ungospeled part of the world. Now, Philippi was a big place, it's a big Roman city, and Paul's pattern, as you may know, was always, when he arrived at a place, was to seek a, like a synagogue, like a church of the Jews, and, and find them first so they could hear about their Messiah, uh, and then go to the Gentiles with hopefully some Jews that he'd gathered and church plant with them. Like, that's the, that's the strategy. And it seems, perhaps, that there wasn't even a synagogue at all in Philippi. And on the Sabbath, uh, Paul and Silas go looking for some people who might at least be praying, and they stumble across something like a little Jewish women's prayer group, basically. And Paul thinks, what's the heck? And he shares with them about Jesus and a woman called Lydia... And then subsequently, her whole household gets converted. Now, this is just so random, which is actually the way when God breaks new ground, often things don't quite go to plan. Totally random. She's actually, Lydia's actually from another city. 
and she's doing business in Philippi and obviously business must have been going well because she runs a household in Philippi as well as wherever home was. Now the other thing that's interesting about um, her, about Lydia, is that she, she is a worshipper of God, that is she's not Jewish, she's what were known as God-fearers. Right? So you had sort of Jews, Gentiles and God-fearers, another class of people uh, around at this time. Now God-fearer was someone who had rejected the paganism and the polytheism and the folk religion of the Gentile world and they tended to gravitate towards Judaism even though they couldn't really be included. Um, you know, Jesus meets a few of these sort of people in the Gospels, right? So, but when she hears about the Jew, she, about Christ, she's in. This, this is it. And she opens her home to Paul and Silas and the new church, insisting that she should offer her hospitality and support. So the Gospel has now become her business. She's in the Gospel business now, all right? Um, but as happy as she was to embrace the news about Jesus and support the new church, there are others who are not so happy. And so again, you can read this later in Acts 16, but um, Paul, uh, after this event, he's sort of harassed by this slave girl um, who just follow his, follows him for days and days all over town, calling out what Paul and Silas are up to because she has an evil spirit and she has, she's able to tell fortunes and stuff. So she has this evil spirit and it drives Paul completely nuts and, um, and he calls this evil spirit out of her and she's, and she's freed. Now she may well have joined the church as well which makes for a very eclectic group of people, free businesswoman of the world and then enslaved pagan girl of the city. You think, what is going on? What sort of church plant is this? I mean, Adam, did you start with people like this as well, I wonder? Like it's just really odd and then it gets weirder because as the gospel changes people's fortunes, it threatens other people's fortunes. Because the owners of this slave girl who relied on her powers of fortune telling have now lost their means of income and they're not happy and they drag Paul and Silas before the police, they yell abuse at them, they accuse them of disturbing the peace, of being a threat to the empire and they get attacked, uh, have their clothes ripped off them by the magistrates, they're beaten by, in, you know, by rods um, and then they're thrown into, the, into, into prison. And the first century prison in Philippi mustn't have been a particularly happy place. So you think, well, great, so much for a vision of a Macedonian man wanting help. Come to us, Paul. Um, the men here are brutal and they, and they can't even get a hearing until prison. And on that night, when I would have been calling for a lawyer <laughs> and scared and hurting and worried and very grumpy... Paul and Silas are praying and singing in the prison, right in the middle of the prison. And because they're in the middle of the prison, everyone else can hear them. They can hear their joy in Jesus, their trust in Jesus. And can you think of more needy men in Macedonia than these? And in the middle of the night, famously, this earthquake happens, shakes the, the bonds off, and stocks off the prisoners, and hinges off the doors, which is not good for the jailer, because you paid with your life if a prisoner escaped, so he's about to take his own life, Paul yells out, do not harm yourself, we're all here, no one's left. 
No one's escaped. No one wanted to leave the place, I take it, where the gospel was being shared in joy, in song, in prayer. And you think, well, could, it be there, could there be no freer place to be, actually, even if it had been prison? So you can lock Paul up, you see, but you can't chain his joy. And the hardened jailer comes before them trembling, uh, asking, what must I do to be saved? See, the jailer was actually the one in chains of his sin, guilty for his treatment of Paul and Silas, no doubt, guilty of lots of things, but in the gospel, guilty no more. And he gives his life to Jesus and his entire household is baptised as well. What a way to, for a church to start, right? <laughs> Classy businesswoman, slave girl and the local jailer. Like, what sort of a collection of people is this? Would they have any partnership with each other under normal circumstances? Impossible! But now in Christ, they are family. And Paul rejoices in them and others as he writes, because he remembers, this letter is written 15 years later, he remembers 15 years ago how this church started with these guys. And look, imagine you're part of the women's Bible study, friends with Lydia, or you're part of the household where this new church is being set up, and Paul and Silas almost get killed by a mob and then thrown into prison for preaching the gospel and then they're kicked out of town. And I'm thinking, if there was ever a time to cut and run from this Jesus partnership thing, that would have been the time, yes? If there was ever a time to give up or at least distance yourself from Paul, that would have been it. But these guys didn't go there. Paul rejoices in their partnership from those very first days. It was sealed then. And for 15 years, they've stuck with him, supported him, loved him, and he has them as well. So what, what joy. He says, verse 7, Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence of and confirmation of the gospel. Um, when they could have shrunk back, you see, they stood firm. When they could have deserted, they supported. When they could have toned down their rhetoric so as not to rock the boat, they identify proudly with Jesus and his apostles sent for them. When they could have doubted the goodness of God, they trusted the goodness of God. It's just am it's amazing. And I, I suspect that's why he says in verse 6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the key tests of how genuine our trust and belief in Jesus is, is how we go under, under pressure and under hardship. That's, that's the real test. It's easy to be a Christian when everything's going really well. It's easy to get along with Christians when everything's going well. But under a bit of pressure and hardship, that, see, that's the real test. And you know, you know, when you, you know when you do cave in um, and, and you protect yourself or perhaps you're not willing to stick your neck out for Christ, um, you, you know that does nothing to grow you. Okay, it does nothing. Um, it does nothing to actually bring you joy, even as you think you're protecting your joy. But when we actually step out and trust Jesus, even if we face a bit of ridicule and derision from others, even if, humanly speaking, it feels like a bit of a risk, you, you actually express confidence that joy is ultimately found in Christ and His ways 
And as you do that, you experience it. As you do that, you will experience it. Now, for that church who'd embraced the gospel and who'd come to love Jesus and, and started Jesus' partnership together, that moment of Paul's imprisonment was the moment to see what they really rejoiced in. Actually, it was the, the first of many moments because they chose to affiliate with and be in partnership with a guy who was kicked out of town. And I sort of think, well, did that, did that bode well for Lydia's business, I wonder? Was it a good business strategy to, to boost her connections? Probably not. Uh, did that stop her giving to the cause of the gospel with joy? Absolutely not. Did it bode well for the jailer's family, I wonder? Well, we, we don't know whether he kept his job or not, but he and his family now have the best thing of all, which they will not lose. And I take it, as, as you read through Philippians, you get the sense that these guys have matured in these convictions, they've shown this by their ongoing and their unashamed partnership together with each other and with Paul. This is why he's so joyful, because of the partnership in the gospel he has with them. Verse 5. Now, uh, some translations have used the word fellowship, and I'm so pleased it's actually not here, um, because when you speak of having fellowship with someone, doesn't that remind you perhaps of sort of tea and biscuits? And um, the, the word is partnership, and it's a, it's a business word, actually, which is nice when thinking about Lydia. It's a, it's a business word. William Taylor writes that the word means energetic, wholehearted, active, and consistent engagement in a project. Right? Partnership. You enter a partnership, sort of doing scones and cordial with someone you have little connection with in life. That just sounds like a painful duty. Being in partnership with someone is a key expression of who you are. Now, we're going to keep thinking about partnership throughout this weekend, but I suspect a lot of us consider becoming Christian and being Christian as a partnership with Christ. So I seek to trust Him. I seek His kingdom first, I seek His will for my life, and yes, that is all true and wonderful, but actually, I'm not really a partner with Christ. It's, it's not like a law firm, you know, Jesus Christ, Marcus Reeves and Associates, it's not, no, no, He is the Lord, He is the Lord, He is the boss. The partnership He calls us into is with one another. And his kingdom project, his will is to build the partnership which he owns, which he paid for, and it's called the church. Right, so this, this group of people committed to the building of this group of people. Um, the gospel calls a group of people to Jesus to be a group of people for Jesus. Uh, now, we've all been part of groups that meet around like a common interest, who share common goals. And when those goals are like are really dear to your heart and, and, and when that group works well together, that bond of partnership is really strong. It's, re- it's really awesome. Um, so sporting teams that succeed, they form very deep connections. Uh, teams uh, who achieve the ultimate, um, many of them, will they form lifelong friendships because of what they've they've supported and what they've been through together even little things like I was once on a like a local preschool board when my kids were younger and wow we we did some great work 
Like we really smashed it out in that preschool board. Um, you know, we, 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 we met once a month. We, uh, we, got that, we got that budget sorted. We got some new equipment. Like it was, well, I was passionate. Um, but then, you know, what happened? When, when my kids weren't involved uh, anymore, there wasn't really the same sort of passion. And uh, look, I suppose if I'm honest, there were, there were some nights I would have preferred to be doing something else than showing up at a preschool board meeting. And it, and it became a duty. And see, the joy was short-lived because it was, and then all of a sudden it was tied to getting tasks done, perhaps others... But, you know, pleasing others and not wanting to disappoint people if I didn't do what was expected of me or if I didn't show up. And then, hang on, does that sound a little like church sometimes? Doesn't that sound like a little bit church sometimes? Where's the joy? What, what am I missing if it comes to that? For 15 years, this group has stuck with Jesus and stuck with Paul well. For 15 years, this partnership that together we will trust Jesus and pursue His plans for us has wed them together strongly. And that's not to say at all that every moment has been, you know, super happy. But the accumulation of faithful, loving trust together has secured some serious joy and thanks together. So, uh, Matt, we heard from you before. How long have you been part of this church again? Four months. Now, since you started, have you found every Sunday and every ministry opportunity the most exhilarating and wonderful part of your week? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's a liar. <laughs> yeah, so you're meant to say probably not, you know, so yeah. Um, so another one. Have, have there been ups and downs in your church and in your life as a, as a follower? Yes, but I take it. I take this. I, if you're, I take it. If you're sticking around here to keep growing as a follower of Jesus, and to see others do the same, that's actually that's actually what you want to be pursuing, is it not? Good. Now that is a, That's a joyful. That's a joyful thought. All right. That was, as you said, that was completely unscripted. I suddenly, oh, hang on, I've got to pick someone. I meant to, you know. Okay. Well. Um, now, one of the interesting things Paul brings up about partnership is that he identifies when it started for the Philippians 15 years past, he is joyful that it's solid and growing in the present, but he has an eye, he has his prayers focused on the future. Okay? Um, verse 6, he says, He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So the day of Jesus Christ is the day of his return. Our partnership together in this life awaits his return and has this goal and focus upon his return. And it, and it gives massive shape to the present. Um, I was speaking to someone recently uh, who thought Christianity was boring because you get saved and your place in heaven is sealed, but there's not much motivation and not much to do in the meantime. Like he, he was saying, where's the challenge? Where's the excitement? Where's the adventure in that? Right? Um, but actually belonging to Jesus is, is the greatest adventure of all. Every day, in every circumstance, Jesus' trust brings life and meaning and productivity and joy, even into what appears to be the darkest and most frustrating of moments. The return of Jesus doesn't 
demotivate or stifle creativity and meaning and usefulness and joy. The very opposite. So the next biggest and greatest thing that's going to happen that cannot and will not disappoint us like is, is not your next holiday. Right? It's not even the day off you're going to get on Monday. It's not your next promotion. It's not the next thing on Netflix. It's not the next premiership for my beloved Carlton Football Club, which I'm sure is going to happen one day soon, right? The, the greatest thing to happen, the most important and vital thing for the planet, which if you're Christian, you are partnered in with others, is the return of Christ. Like that is, that is the next biggest, greatest thing. And we're not just hanging around waiting for it, as if we have this partnership of sort of standing in a queue. Because is that what we're doing at church? We're just standing in a queue, waiting for Jesus? No. This actually gives us wonderful and urgent pursuits now, which Paul reveals for us in his, in his prayer at the end of our passage today. If the next big thing is the return of Christ, if we are partners together with Christ, then we don't want to be spending our best in the wrong project. <laughs> what is God's project for you and for us? Well, look at, verse, look at from verses 9. He says, I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, sometimes you read the verses like that and they sort of, they all sound nice and it sort of flows out of your brain in sort of this, this theology, but it's so, so rich and wonderful. You know what the, that project is? It's our maturity, it's your growth, it's the honour of being fruitful for God's glory together with His people. That is the most amazing pursuit. It cost God everything in Christ to make it possible. There is nothing more amazing. Um, I I have never uh, heard an astronomer say... Uh, that they're not interested in discovering more galaxies. Right? Or they're, they're not interested in discovering the secrets of dark matter. I've never heard an astronomer say, oh, I'm done with exploring the universe. All right? You could hardly call yourself an astronomer with that sort of attitude, could you? I've never heard an athlete say they're aiming at running a little bit slower this season. You know, no, I'm pretty happy with my speed. Sort of happy to keep it where it is, or maybe just take it a bit easier this season. I've never heard someone who loves reading say, oh, gee, I wish I'd read less books in my life. You know, I'm, I'm planning on reading less this year. I've never heard a Collingwood fan say they're happy to help Carlton win the flag this year. Anyway, so, but, yeah, but here's the thing. I do hear people say that they want to soft pedal the Christian thing in their life a bit. Right? I do speak with people who actually have Little interest, it seems, in engaging with the most important, satisfying, secure and joyous project of all. I find people who can be so fascinated with themselves and the amazing wonder of their online world who fail to realise that God is infinitely more so, that Christ is infinitely more exciting and enriching and rewarding they're online enriched in trivia and offline to what life is really all about. 
Can you imagine an astronomer offered a telescope that could see to the very afterglow at the beginning of time, not wanting to drop everything and take a look? Huh? So he, here is God's workmanship, purchased by the blood of His Son. The church is the only human project that will last forever and is the only project heaven rejoices over for all eternity. It is so stunning. It'll be so perfect, so brilliant and that project is being built and secured and enriched even now as we partner together. The Philippians got it. They got it. They were onto it. They've found the reason to live. Well, actually, he, he had found them. <laughs> Through Paul, Christ, who had purchased them and forgiven them and included them, transformed them. And they weren't letting go. They wanted to grow and they loved it. And that's why Paul's prayer in verse 9 is, is actually, it's a prayer of love. Um, we, we pursue what we love. Uh, we, we partner in what we love. So Paul starts his prayer asking God that their love may be more and more, abound more and more with knowledge, discernment. See, what, what you love is the key to your heart. What you love is what you believe will bring you joy. What you love is the clearest indicator of who you are. What you love, you, you embrace and you, and you treasure and you seek to keep. Ill-placed love will bring stifle and frustrated joy at best. Having love grounded in the things of God, with the people of God, will see it complete and eternal. So Paul is praying that they would love the gospel more. Because if you love the gospel, you'll embrace the gospel more, you'll plumb its depths, apply its wonder into your life, and you'll be ready for that great day, and you'll partner with others in view of that great day, and true joy to the glory of God will be yours, in fact, will be ours. If my love abounds in knowledge and discernment in the gospel, you, you, you know who benefits? Everyone. Everyone benefits. If your love abounds in knowledge and discernment in the gospel, you know who benefits? Everyone benefits. God means to grow you in gospel partnership with others. God means to use you to grow others in the gospel partnership. Paul rejoices in these people, not because there's been another engagement, not because Lydia's business is expanding, not because the church coffee machine is really helping the fellowship, not that all of those things are unimportant, but imagine this, Paul rejoices because the jailer's son has just shared his family's story with a, a friend to encourage him. Because the slave girl is telling the street kids in Philippi that Jesus is the man they need. Because Lydia's house is still seeing an eclectic mix of people come together and feed on the Scriptures and they really need a bit more space. Because after 15 years, 
the persecution they've copped has not threatened their joy, but actually brought more. Because people who had given themselves to paganism, looking for their joy in folk religion and the marketplace of life, have secured it in Christ. And it brings glory to God. I think there's another reason Paul might be in such joy and so encouraged by, by these Philippians as, he's, as he writes. And this shows this is, this is no happy pill of a letter. When he first came to Philippi, he was in prison. And now, 15 years later, as he writes the letter to them, you know where he is again? <laughs> in prison. Which, is, which I think only focuses his thanks, only makes the wonder of the gospel more vivid and more powerful. Because you can't chain the gospel. You can't rob Paul of his joy. And it need not weaken partnership in Christ. Indeed, this letter only strengthens, strengthens it, doesn't it? Now, will it strengthen ours? Will it strengthen yours? And so strengthen our joy as his people. But we're going to have a lot of fun um, and hopefully a lot of joy as this weekend as we look at this, as we give ourselves to the things of the Lord and give ourselves to that which the Lord has brought us together for. You're a, if you're a Christian, you're a partner in the greatest project of all. And I want to encourage you to fully give yourself to it. Can I lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for these uh, amazing uh, words that open up this tremendously encouraging challenging uh, but so truthful letter uh, please help us to trust what uh, your word says give us this weekend a more wonderful appreciation for what we have in christ what we have together as brothers and sisters and lord please use this group of people for your great glory and we pray in jesus name amen <laughs>